0: What a joy it is to be with you on this wonderful Lord's Day, to open the Word with you. Some of you won't know the joy that it is to to be up here and to open the Word of God and to to declare it to brothers and sisters, Uh, but it's both with deep gravity as I understand the weight that's being put on my shoulders here this morning, but also gladness as We can see the word of God take root in our hearts as he grows us into the image of Christ. The the title of our message here this morning, our challenge, our sermon, is intercession. But more specifically, it's a dire plea from a desperate heart. You know, what a joy it's been to journey through these past few weeks in this critical topic of prayer. And truth is, there there is no topic more central, no no theme more important to the flourishing of Christ's church. And yet, sadly, no practice more foolishly neglected than this topic of prayer. There's no habit more easily formed, no expression more defiantly prideful than prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. No tool more underutilized and misunderstood in the American church than prayer. Why is that? Well, I think culture would foolishly lead us to think that the mark of maturity is independence and that as we grow in wisdom and stature, that truth and the answers to the most critical questions on life is found as we, as we turn inward. Fortunately, God speaks a better word. I love how Andrew Murray puts it. He says, Christ actually meant prayer to be the great power by which his church should do its work and that the neglect of prayer is the great reason that the church has not greater power over the masses, both in Christian and in heathen cultures. You know, as we reflect on this vital work here this morning, It's important to note that prayerlessness plagues us as a people. We need to be honest about that. We need to reflect on that. And until we as a church fully realize the depth of our own innate ineptness, we will never know the joy of seeing God move in amazing ways, in miraculous ways, in earth-shaking ways. You know, over the course of these past several weeks, we have been so blessed to cover so many different topics as it relates to prayer. Specifically, we've talked about answered prayer. And I know Lee's not here today. He's traveling. But we're so grateful for for the ways in which God answers prayer and the challenge that he gave us to to pray in the right way that that we can invite God's answers into our lives and to acknowledge them. We talked about the word of God In prayer, we talked about how the Trinity relates to prayer. And then last week, Pastor Dan led us in a message regarding prayer in the church. What a joy. You know, our topic this morning is the topic of intercession. And more specifically, intercessory prayer. So intercession, by definition, in case that's a a word that you're not familiar with, by definition, it's the act of going between, or petitioning on behalf of another, entreating the favor of another. And on our quest to understand more deeply what God would have for us by way of this topic of intercession, we're going to be looking at Luke 11, Luke 11 verses 1 to 13. So if you're not already there, take a minute and turn to Luke chapter 11. And as we enter into this topic here this morning, we're going to start with verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read them, and I'd encourage you to follow along in the scriptures. It says this, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. You know, as Luke opens up this text, he describes the scene very simply as Jesus praying in a certain place. In the first four verses, we see some really important truths regarding prayer as taught by Christ, and before we can truly understand what it means to intercede on behalf of our brothers and sisters and others that are in our lives, we must first capture the heart of what it means to bring our requests before God, the heart of supplication, pursuing divine help for our own health and healing. So according to this text, and we're not going to dig in in great depth on these things, because these are things that have been covered over the course of the last few weeks. But I think it's important to the second half of this passage. But according to this text, as Jesus is teaching them on the heart of prayer, he first wants to point out that at the very center of this prayer is understanding that that reaching out to God is an intimate pursuit. It's an intimate pursuit. Pastor Jay talked about this as he unfolded what it means to understand the Trinity in prayer. Jesus says, Father, Hallowed be your name. He begins with the word Father. In Matthew, he's recorded as saying, our Father in heaven. His pursuit is intensely personal. It applies a a deep relationship with the one with whom he's seeking. But also the authority of the Father in his own finite Shortcomings. Our Father, not only is this an intimate pursuit, but it's an expectant pursuit. He says, your, your kingdom come. He was pointing out to the disciples that the sum, that the sum of all that their kingdom of this earth represented was brokenness, darkness, and utter emptiness in order for them to experience full deliverance from their own human despondency, their own brokenness, they needed to be acted upon by the God of grace. Your kingdom come. By the God of grace, but not only grace, his mercy, his kindness, his comfort. They needed more of God. They needed his kingdom to sweep into the darkness and to flood their despair with the glorious light of his divine bounty. It's as if they were imploring him, as they were crying out, God, I cannot live without your kingdom. Your kingdom, come, please, God, send us your kingdom. It's an expectant pursuit. It was a dependent pursuit. Prayer was a, a dependent pursuit according to Christ. Give us each day our daily bread. The heart of this request is a realization for my own life. That everything I need comes outside of me. And it is given freely at the hand of a loving and caring father. You'll notice in this prayer, he doesn't say, give me my monthly ration, Lord. Set me on my way so that I'm good for all of life. Rather, Jesus is recognizing the earnest pursuit of daily provision. Give me this daily bread. Minister to me now in my ever-present weakness and give me all that I need to face the trials of the day. Fresh trials, new mercies. God, is a look out on my day, it's a mess. It's a wreck. God, the only way that I will flourish is if you provide for me this daily bread. It's a dependent pursuit. It's a forgiven pursuit. Forgive us. Forgive us of our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Father, grant me forgiveness for all the ways that I have sinned against you. And give me the capacity to forgive others for their sins against me. Help me, Father, to release the debts of others. And brothers and sisters, this is important as we understand the heart of prayer. The forgiven must forgive. They must. Just as we have been forgiven by God, we must release the debts and the offenses of others. Furthermore, our capacity to forgive is granted at the hand of a loving and gracious father. It's a forgiven pursuit, but it's also a victoriously guided pursuit. Lead us not into temptation, he says. Matthew takes it one step further by citing deliverance from evil. Either way, though, there is a recognition that the path that I am presently on, the path that I am presently on is hopelessly perilous. This petition for the Father to change the course of my trajectory, grant me a direction, God, that leads to life and victory. Lead us not into temptation. Now, you might be saying to yourself, Mike, what does this have to do with intercessory prayer? And I am so glad you asked. You know, as Jesus gears up for a turn in the story, he wants his followers to understand some really important truths. He wants them to understand that the capacity to help others never, never, never rests in anything that we can muster in ourselves. Grab hold of that truth, brothers and sisters. Your capacity to help another brother or sister or someone who you know who does not know Jesus, the capacity never rests in anything that you can muster in yourself. In and only in the earnest pursuit of God for your own well-being, will you have the capacity to see the desperate situation of those around you? God, I I need you. I need to pursue him intimately because my deepest and most desperate needs lie outside of me. I need to expect that as he delivers me from the domain where darkness reigns and he transfers me into the kingdom of his beloved son, then will I have the sustenance, the forgiveness and the victory that comes from being his child. You see, brothers and sisters, this kind of prayer is more than a task. This isn't something you do. It's meant to define us. It's a constant state of heart and mind for the follower of Jesus, which is why we're challenged to pray without ceasing. That was Jesus' point. Jesus desired for them to realize their own dire despondency. And as they would look around through the lens of Christ's gospel and his amazing provision for their soul, then they would see a world that was equally broken and desperate. This brings us to the second major section in our text here this morning. Verses 5 through 8. He said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. He will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up. I cannot give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So Jesus transitions here in the story from a desperate prayer for your own soul to a desperate need presenting from another. And the story goes like this. A friend comes to the door at midnight in a desperate situation. A traveler has arrived at his house from a long journey. And and he's experienced the worst catastrophe. He has nothing to feed him. This guy's hungry. He's tired. He needs shelter. This is a big deal. Because the situation would bring great shame and dishonor. For to turn away a guest would be reprehensible. He can't do it. He's got to take him in, but he's got nothing. He does what any friend would do in a desperate situation such as this. He goes in the middle of the night. He pounds on the door to the one who alone is able to meet the need. And he persists in his request, knowing that provision depends on faithfulness outside of himself. Provision depends on the gift of his friend. And you might be saying to yourself, what's the big deal? Why didn't he just go to the store? There's got to be a 24-hour quickie mart open that he can find some food. No. Markets were closed. His storehouse laid bare. The situation was bleak. And as we contemplate Jesus' purpose in sharing this story, and as we delve deeply into the heart of his challenge to his followers, I see six critical truths that I want us to to anchor our hearts in regarding biblical intercession. Six truths. These truths, I think, are at the heart of what Jesus would have us understand here this morning. So, the first thing that we see in the text, we see an urgent need. An urgent need. Jesus, in his instructions to the disciples, highlighted the desperate need for daily bread, right? He said this in his prayer demonstration to the disciples. In this illustration, he's faithful to point out that just as they must depend on the Father for their daily needs, so they must run to the Father on behalf of those whom they loved, that they might find a provision for their souls as well there was an urgent need. You know, at the heart of biblical intercession lies the recognition that the souls of all mankind are in dire need for provision, for nourishment, for sustenance. Brothers and sisters, we have to understand that we are all beggars. We need to get that in our heads. We are all beggars. And and this this idea of evangelism and reaching the lost is really one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Understanding the dire need. And as we're walking this walk of faith, it doesn't somehow magically go away that we no longer need bread. No, this is a daily pursuit. There was a, a dire need. The primary reason that we don't pray as we ought is that we fail to see our own desperate need. The need for physical health and healing. You know, here's the reality. Jesus upholds the universe by by the word of his power. Every breath, every heartbeat, every firing nerve is carried along by the word of his power. You cannot function apart from his sustaining power. The need for physical provision. You know, we foolishly think that there is such a thing as human provision. That there's the me stuff in this world and then there's the God stuff. When the me stuff falls short, God shows up. No. It's God who has given you the ability to work, God who's provided that paycheck. God, who has put that food on your table, and God, who holds the keys to your glorious future. We're all in the end. We're all at the end of our ropes here this morning. You know, Friday's check hinges on the faithful hand of a loving God, the need for spiritual rescue. Some of us battle with intrusive thoughts as they invade our hearts. To the point that you're beginning to question the power of the word, the purpose he has for your life, or even your faith. You're beginning to wonder the point. You're in a desperate need of the spirit of God to sweep in and shatter that resistance and draw you to himself and to remind you that you are loved. The answer is not a set of worldly strategies. No, the answer is God. It's God, the need for ongoing daily deliverance. Recognizing my urgent need is central to taking my own personal request to God. Realizing that I have nothing to offer in my flesh, in my own strength, is paramount to a dynamic ministry of intercessory prayer. We will never be dynamic intercessors if we don't understand the desperate need. And dire need. The man in the illustration realized this powerful truth. He ran to his friend for the bread that he knew he could not provide. Brothers and sisters, recognizing that in your own strength you have nothing is central to the heart of intercession. Run to the one who stands at the ready with the very bounty of heaven. Be unrelenting in your pursuit. And this brings us to our second point. The willing love. The willing love. The man in this story saw with keen eyes the need of his traveling friend. He was willing to make the sacrifice, both taking him in, which was a sacrifice for him. He didn't say no. He brought him in. He cared for him and leading him to the provision that he most desperately needed. Brothers and sisters, our excuses for not being committed intercessors are just that. They're excuses. Truth is, if we're being honest with ourselves, our failure to be intercessors, to be prayers for others, is generally rooted in one of three reasons. One, either we, we fail to see the urgency of our need. In other words, in our, in our comfort. We've allowed complacency to take root in our hearts. We've taken our eyes off the one who's given and is committed to giving us all good things. We become foolishly self-sufficient. We become pridefully arrogant to think that somehow this hinges on me. And we become foolishly and ferociously independent. That's one reason. Or we fail to believe in the sufficiency of the Father to meet our needs and the needs of those around us. If we're being honest, sometimes we fail to pray because we don't think that that God has the means or the capacity to answer this request. Well, this is a big one. Maybe there's something I need to do before I bring it to God. Really? (laughs) Really? Or, this is the worst, we just don't care enough to be bothered. I'm about my day. I'm about my rhythms, I'm about my life. I have too much to do to get on my knees before God and to spend an hour in prayer, two hours in prayer, pleading with him, begging for him to move. Brothers and sisters, if we're to be the church that God has called us to be and grow in all the ways that he has for us, then we must embrace this willing love to do whatever it takes to see the most urgent needs of those around us met by the giver of all good things. The call this morning is to a great sense of awareness. Lift your eyes, brothers and sisters. See the brokenness that invades our world. See the brokenness all around you. See the brokenness that's invading our church. See the hurt in the eyes of your friends and family. This ought to move our hearts to a deep sense of love and compassion. It ought to drive us to our knees. This brings us to our third point in the text. The hopeless ineptitude. The hopeless ineptitude. You know, as the traveler came to his friend, he knew that the provision for his deepest need lay outside of himself. It lay outside of himself. His friend, though inept to meet the need, was ready to do whatever was necessary to lead his traveling friend to the rest and the refreshment that his soul so desperately craved. His ability to provide, Laos had himself, for he himself was desperate and dire. He had nothing. He too was a beggar in need of provision. At the heart of biblical intercession rests an unwavering understanding of our own hopeless ineptitude, our own impoverished impotence. We are nothing apart from the persevering work of gospel grace. We possess nothing apart from the bounty of God's grace given in the gospel. To love people best means understanding that we can give them nothing. But the grace which has been so freely bestowed upon us by the giver of all good things. He's called us to be conduits. He's called us to be conduits. He desires for us to be a channel through which... His perfect grace and love and mercy flows freely. My impoverished impotence brings me to the end of myself. This hopeless ineptitude moves me to pursue the giver of all good things. And this brings me to the fourth observation here in the text. The earnest faith. The earnest faith. As the friend goes to his neighbor on a quest for provision, his heart is firmly rooted in the neighbor's ability to grant such a request. He pursues him in faith. And As we think about our walks with God so many times, if we're being honest, we go to God in prayer, but we're careful to plan for the what if God doesn't show up answer to our request. Nothing screams lack of faith more than this mindset. I think James says it best when he writes in James 4, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly that you might consume it upon your passions. The man in this story possessed great faith that his his neighbor both possessed the means and the desire to care For his visiting guest. This faith was the basis for his pursuit. You know, and I do think it's important to note here that while faith is pivotal to the granting of the requests that we bring before the Father, the presence of faith doesn't guarantee that God is going to give precisely what we ask for. As James says, you ask and you don't receive because we ask wrongly that we could spend it on our passions. This begs the question, what does it mean to ask wrongly? Pastor Lee hit this so well when he was talking about answering prayer and the ways in which God answers prayer. Asking wrongly, according to this text, I think involves a preoccupation with my kingdom. Sometimes we go to God and we use prayer sort of as a domestic intercom. You know what I'm talking about? Where we get on the horn with dad Because we have a complaint about one of our siblings. And we're asking God to fix the kingdom. My kingdom is a mess, God. Please come in and make it what it needs to be. Fix my mess, restore my kingdom. So many times, this is how we pray. Brothers and sisters, God is not into your kingdom. I know, (laughs) that's a hard truth to swallow. He is not into your kingdom. He's not looking to make you comfortable. He's interested in making you like Jesus. He's looking to pluck you from the domain of darkness where you reign and put you into the domain of his beloved son. Selfish motives oftentimes lead to ineffective prayers. I'm preoccupied with my own kingdom. But not only that, I think another reason, preoccupation, and preoccupation with my own desires. He says that you may consume it upon your passions. When my desire is for my own comfort above God's purposes, my prayer lacks power. Or a preoccupation with my own agenda. Jesus, when he prayed in the garden, pleaded for God to take away the cup of suffering. You remember that prayer, right? God, if there's any other way, there's any other way, take it, Father. Please, I pray, let this cup pass from me. But then he turned and said, in the end that he surrendered to the will of the Father above all else, not my will but yours be done. So our prayers can lack power when we're preoccupied with our own agenda or preoccupied with our own timetable. God, I'm desperate for this to happen now, seeking to bend God's will to my own. You know, the man in this story knew that his motive was good. Because he wanted to help his friend. So it was for the good of his friend. And he knew that which he sought would bring glory and honor to the neighbor. This led to a confidence in the ask. He knew that the the neighbor would grant the request. As granting this request would give glory to the giver. And honor. To his great name. You know, he, he's desiring for that which is good, both for his friend but also giving honor to the giver. He's not interested in that which propels himself forward. You know, as we pray to God, we need to understand that God delights in granting that which brings honor and glory to him. He's not looking to push us forward and to propel our agenda, He's not interested in that which makes us comfortable. He's not interested in that which provides for temporal pleasure. His desire is that our souls would be nourished and that we would find true sustenance for all of life in his provision, in his loving hand. The pursuit of his divine intervention for that which will satisfy us for all eternity highlights his all-sufficiency and our utter helplessness. The prayers of faith that highlight this longing, he delights to answer. Earnest faith. This brings us to the fifth point in our text. The prevailing pursuit. The prevailing pursuit. While the neighbor's earnest faith led him to pursue this Provision boldly. His confidence was met with a, a jolting and an unexpected check. The rich neighbor refused to hear. Do not bother me, he says. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't give up. Get up and give you anything. And in spite of this resistance in the story, he leans in undeterred. I can imagine sticking a foot in the door. <laughs> As the door is coming closed, <laughs> No. He knew that his request was good. He desired provision to care for his friend in need. He he knew that granting this request would bring honor to the giver and that pursuing this request meant admitting that he was incapable and his friend held the key to granting the petition. If his friend didn't grant the request, then this was a hopeless situation. He knew that success hinged on the kind and generous heart of the one who could meet him in the need. Because of these reasons, he was unrelenting in his pursuit. He did not give up. He kept pressing in and seeking the answer to this request. This diligent pursuit prevailed in the end. He held fast in confidence that the man would both hear And he would grant the request. And because of his importunity, the neighbor met the need. How many times, brothers and sisters, do we run to the Lord in prayer? Well-meaning in our pursuit. And then when the Father delays in granting what we ask, we give up and we move to plan B. At the heart of a prevailing pursuit lies an understanding That the granting of this request hinges on the earnestness and the persistence as I'm pursuing God in my time of need. You know, God delights in this unrelenting heart, not because it seeks to bend his will to ours, but that it reflects an understanding of deep, dire dependence I think this is the reason given for fasting in Scripture. God, I need you more than I need food right now. More than I need shelter. More than I need any other physical provision, God. Take it all. This isn't what I need, God. I need you. I need you. Success in any of our endeavors, brothers and sisters, hinges on God meeting us in our need. Jesus states in verse 8 of our text, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or his unrelenting persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Brothers and sisters, we must run to him with this sense of, of urgency. We must. This sense of commitment. Perhaps we have not because we fail to pursue and struggle to see the point. This brings us to our final point in the text, the quiet confidence. So I want to focus in on this last part of verse 8. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. Why did the man persist in his pursuit? He knew that he had nothing. He knew that his neighbor possessed all good things. He knew that his neighbor would be faithful to provide. And what happened next? The neighbor met the need. He showed up. He cared for him. As Jesus wraps the story up in this text, he wants his followers to understand that he's talking about so much more than mere physical bread. More than mere physical provision. He's faithful to remind his followers of the unfailing kindness of Almighty God in verses 9 through 13. He brings us to the ultimate point in the text. He wants them to get it the heart of intercessory prayer. He says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and you will There's a lot in that text. But here's what I want to leave us with this morning. Who are your deepest burdens in your life? Who are your deepest burdens? What are the most significant mountains to be moved in your heart and in the hearts of those you love? What keeps you from relentlessly pursuing the Father, pleading with him, I can't tell you how many people I speak to that are in the midst of intense spiritual battles, relational battles, struggles in their family, struggles in their home, struggles with their kids. And the question I ask is, are you on your knees? Are you fighting from your knees? Are you taking it to the Father? And so many times the answer is, I know I need to pray more. Then do it. Do it. There may be more to do once you've prayed. But brothers and sisters, I can assure you, there's nothing to do until you've prayed. Nothing. Get on your face before God. Plead with him. You know, one of my greatest encouragements in ministry as an adult has to be the relentless pursuit of God's blessings from the prayers of our most senior saints. And inevitably, in my conversations with many of them, the story goes like this. There was a time when I could be on the front lines with guys like you doing the work of the ministry. And now, all I can do is pray. And I have to say, to be honest, brothers and sisters, all you can do is pray. That is the front line of ministry, (laughs) It is. I I hesitate saying this, but I think this needs to be where our hearts is, where our hearts are. I I think many of us will never know the desperate direness of our need to, to pursue him in prayer because we're cursed with physical prosperity. Try praying, God, cripple me so that I can depend on you. Take away my ability to do, God, so that I can do the one thing that you need me to do, you want me to do, you desire for me to do. Help me, God, to see. And I praise God for the the Dorothy Mundys and the the others in this church that that are so faithfully pursuing him from their knees because they say, this is all I can do. God, I want to be in that place. Imagine what would happen if the able-bodied in this church said there is nothing for me to do physically until I hit the deck and I take it to God in prayer and I passionately committed to run to Him, oh, that we would be that kind of people. Oh, that we would know the joy of such physical limitations that all we can do is pray. Oh, the grace given in the midst of such human helplessness. We need to know this, brothers and sisters. As we wrap up our time here this morning, I'm going to invite the worship team up. I want to end with the admonishment of a pastor and author who really impacted my heart as I was studying for this. Andrew Murray As he was talking on this topic of intercession. And here's what he said. He says, let us confess before him our lack of prayer. Let us admit that the lack of faith of which it is the proof. Is symptom of a life that is not spiritual. That is all too much under the power of self and flesh and the world. Let us in the faith of the Lord Jesus, who spoke this parable and himself waits to make every trait of it true in us, give ourselves to be intercessors. Let every sight of soul needing help, let every stirring of the spirit of compassion, let every sense of our own impotence to bless, let every difficulty in the way of our getting in answer, just combine to urge us to do this one thing with importunity to cry to the God who alone can help, who in answer to our prayers will help. Let us, if we indeed feel that we have failed, do our utmost to train a young generation of Christians who profit from our mistake. And avoid it. Students, hear this. We failed you. We failed you to demonstrate what this pursuit looks like. Learn from the mistakes of those who have gone before. Be young people that lead from your knees. Be students that lead from your knees. This is not grown-up stuff. This is life stuff. If you claim to be a child of God, lean in to this this powerful truth of intercession. Learn to love it. And to the older saints in this room, run hard after the one who alone can satisfy us for all of life and seek to lead others to that same provision in prayer. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you this message thank you for this challenge thank you for the truth god i pray that you would move our hearts dear god help us to see our own desperate need help us to realize our own direness our own impotence our own incapability i pray god that you do whatever it takes in us as a people to bring us to that point of becoming passionate intercessors. Grow us, mature us, strengthen us, draw us to yourself. We beg you. For it's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray these things. And all God's people said, Amen.